I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past in the future. There's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay. That's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset RX and your host. And today I'm joined by Joshua Marillo. And Josh is, well, you're going to find all out all about him. And he's a he's a long-standing figure in the CrossFit community, but he's also working with actors movie stars, those kind of people, comedians, um, and a bunch of other people that you hear about in their body transformations. And the thing that we discussed, I think is very interesting is the role of coaching today and what that requires in terms of emotional understanding. And as an athlete, if you're listening to this, there's a ton of value because you can think what kind of questions do I need to ask myself? And as a coach, if you're a coach listening to this, this gives you a shortcut into like, this is what both Joshua and I have um, discussed and have developed by ourselves. And this is how you can implement it into your coaching. So that's important. And also Josh just has a cool as fuck story, to be honest. He's um, yeah done a bunch of stunt work. He's now working in this kind of body transformation industry and what that kind of entails. So enjoy this podcast with Joshua Marillo. <laughs> Dude, welcome on. Really stoked to have you on board. Looking forward to where this conversation goes. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So talk to me. The obvious question here for me is like, why stunts? Where does where does that start? Um, I've always been interested in movies and I've always been active as a kid. So like just using my body to kind of express myself and through movement is something I've always done and been into. I think I really got interested in stunts by watching like Terminator 2, and especially there was a movie called The Mask of Zorro that I really was looking forward to before it came out. And I remember begging my parents to take me to it, and I went and saw it. And there's a lot of practical stunts in that movie. So, uh, yeah, lots of sword fights, lots of falls, lots of, like, high falls. A, a lot of the, like, I don't want to say standard, but... um a lot of the the gags that you would need to know how to do to be an expert stuntman are done in that movie. So there's lots of horse work, there's lots of crashes, um, and I'm sure that the safety protocols that needed to be put in place for a lot of this stuff to get done was immense. And I was just really impressed by all the stunts in that movie. And I think that was the first time I was like, man, it'd be really cool to be one of those guys who helped create this action because the action made the movie to me and it moved the story forward. So with stunts, it's like you want, you're trying to, to tell a story without saying any words. That's basically what it is. Mm -hmm. So really dramatic moments can take place when you're um, using movement to, to move the story forward. And you can see that in movies like The Revenant, where there's not a ton of dialogue in certain areas. And it's a lot of like him, like just climbing through the snow or like wrestling around with Tom Hardy or, you know, things like that, where they're really dramatic moments. And if they're done if they were done incorrectly, it would really take away from the movie. So, yeah. What does what does practical mean? Non CGI. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, sweet. basically. And is there like a is there like a rift between the the purists and and CGI, or is it like just different specialities? Yeah, there may have been in the past, but it's kind of all blending together at this point. Um, the way technology is going, I mean, who knows? Like in in ten years, all stunts may be done by computer generated people. You know, so we don't know. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It would be a lot safer. You know, um, I think on lower budget stuff like TV shows and stuff, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. But maybe for higher, higher budget things where there's like really, really dangerous stuff that needs to get done, uh, they would use AI to do it or down the road, they may even use like robots. Like who, who knows? Um, I, I've seen a couple like things about where it can go. Yeah. I, I've seen a couple like weird, like rough versions of like a stunt robot swinging on a vine or something like that. And it lets go and does like a million flips. There, there, there's a video of that on on YouTube somewhere, um, but yeah. So is that Boston Dynamics? It might be. That it might stuff. have been that. Yeah, yeah that's it's crazy, dude. It's pretty wild how how far it's come. So yeah, yeah. I I don't know. The the one thing that AI can't do that you would require stunt person for is kind of like the expressions and the acting part of it, as far as getting beat up. Um, but who knows down the line that may be able to get replicated as well using AI. So. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure where it's going down the line, but I, I'm just enjoying what we do now and what we've done in the past. And uh, yeah, we're happy with our career and yeah. fun. Yeah. So first, first uh, gig. Yeah. First stunt gig was probably, it was like a low budget. So I first moved to LA and when I first moved there, I didn't, I didn't move there for stunts. I moved there to do audio and it was kind of one of those things where I was looking for some extra cash. And I answered a, um, an ad on Craigslist for like an acting role. And it was kind of like an action acting thing for some student film. And I ended up having to like wrestle a zombie or something. Like it was, I, I can't even remember this for it, but that was pretty much the gist of it. And so there was a lot of rolling around, a lot of wrestling. Um, I don't think I fired a gun for that, but it was like, Something, something like that. I, I think I had, I had, I had a weapon that I didn't use, or got knocked out of my hands, and I just had so much fun doing that. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, I'm sure people do this for a living. I have no idea how how to get there, but it, it was cool. And over time, I eventually started. I, I moved away from audio and started coaching CrossFit, and I ended up managing a CrossFit gym. And there were some stunt performers that were going to the gym that I was training. And in the past, I had done like boxing and stuff. So I, I knew how to fight. And they, they were like, dude, you should try stunts. You'd be pretty good at this. So um, I got a couple gigs here and there. Like, I think I worked on like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, which is the gig that kind of got me my yeah. SAG card and stuff. And uh, I just had so much fun on that set. I was like, man, how do you do this full time? And I, I couldn't connect the dots, but I, I think those were probably my first tastes of stunt work and just being on set and having fun and being like, dude, this, this can be a career. I don't, I don't know how to get there, but it's, it's really cool. I I would enjoy that, you know? So I don't think I ever really, really like set my sights out to be a full-time uh, stunt performer or anything like that. It was more just like things just kind of like kept adding up and opportunities kept popping up and I just kind of jumped on them, you know? Sweet, sweet. It seems like um, 
I was going to ask like what the motivating factor in it is, but it seems like it's just doing cool shit from my, from the way I yeah, see it. Yeah. It's like, man, that looks sweet. Like in terms of like the physical expression, the kind of the slight danger in there, yeah. the adrenaline, the kind of the mitigating risks as well, like the logical side of it. Like it all seems like it and complicated and difficult as well. Like it seems like it's got all the ingredients for something very intrinsically motivating. Yeah. There's a lot of problem solving involved. Um, I've had the privilege of, of working under some some really really good stunt coordinators and just learning from there from them and taking it all in. Whenever there's a new gag that comes up, especially something really complicated, it's very planned out um, well in advance um, for both safety purposes, but also you want to present really compelling action that that tells the story. So, yeah, a lot of planning goes into it, and uh, it, it's really interesting. There's a fair amount of like engineering involved and coordinating with the riggers. Um, cause a lot of times, like if you need wire, uh, they'll use wires, not, not just on people, but on props and stuff to make sure things are safe or, you know, held in place or that, you know, whatever you're standing on is supported well. So you'd have to, you know, work with the grips department and all that stuff. So, um, as the performer, your job is to kind of like trust that everybody's dotting their I's and crossing their T's to make sure everything's safe. But at the end of the day, it's your stunt and, um, you need to kind of like bring the goods when the time comes. So there's all the prep that goes into it. And, you know, we try to be as safe as possible. I, I, I think there's a big distinction between stunt performers and daredevils. Those are two different things, right? Like daredevils, like there's, there's kind of like maybe a 50, 50 chance that something could go wrong, you know? Um, and you're just going to roll the dice and hope everything turns out. Okay. Whereas stunt performers is different. It's like, we try to make things as safe as possible until you kind of can't. So like, for example, mm. if there was like a big wide shot that you were trying to get, um, and let's say you're getting beat up and you have to fall like, you know, from this platform that's like five feet in the air or, or, or higher or whatever, and you've got to land on the ground, like sometimes you don't have the luxury of having pads, you know, so you, you got to land on the ground and it is what it is, you know, you just have to do it. And so again, like the, you know, the, the best stunt coordinators and everything, they'll do their best to make things as safe as possible. But you also have to be, to train yourself well enough to be able to manipulate your body the right way to land properly to where you don't get hurt. And also it looks painful and the audience goes, Oh, like, like that, like that's what you're going for as a stunt performer. You want to have those kind of reactions from the audience. Yeah. It makes me think of like the mitigating risk thing seems like the, the conversation around Alex Honnold's doing free solo right. when the non-climbing community looked at that and went, man, that is crazy. And it is crazy. Like yeah. to, to free solo or cap it is insane. Yeah. But like what you don't realize is how much prep's gone into it. How yeah. many like kind of reps have gone in on every single move, how he's visualized every component of it, yeah. how he's like kind of, um, yeah, he's got everything squared and it's well within his climbing capacity. It's like what, 12, 15 grades below what he can actually climb if you do ABCD as well. Yeah. Like, so there's a ton in there. Um, but like it's appears risky, but you mitigate as much risk as possible. Yeah. Uh, a, a great example of that. We used to do a touring stunt show called Mar Marvel universe live. And during the show, there was one section where Spider-Man would come down for the first time and he'd be standing on this platform and it was a decent sized platform, but the platform is about 15 feet in the air. Uh, maybe a little less than that. Maybe it was like 10 feet. Um, and then just, you know, below that is just the ground, right? So 
he had to come down. Um, he like, you know, did his Spider-Man moves and then did a cork, which is basically a swing through with one foot and you would do a gainer, which is like a backflip with a full twist. So that's called a cork. Um, and he had this platform to do it on. Uh, and if he falls off the platform, it could really, really injure him very, very badly. But these acrobats and performers that we worked with had, had done like thousands of corks. So it's like they were so dialed in with that movement that to a normal person that would seem very dangerous and reckless and stuff. But when you're part of the production, you're like, this person has that much ability. You know, they have that kind of control and you see that in Cirque du Soleil and things like that. Um, and I, I think doing stunts in film and TV has, uh, and especially live stunts as well, has um, given Haley and I a new appreciation for things like Cirque du Soleil or like even WWE. You know, like I know, I know they get flack for like, oh, it's fake. It's like, dude, those guys are crushing their bodies every Kinda. single day. Like, yeah. it, it's really, really brutal what they do to themselves. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, they have that kind of ability. And so back to Alex, what, what you were just talking about, I'm sure there's a fair, to, you know, to, to the people that are in the know, they're like, yes, it seems like very, very reckless, but he's that good, you know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Competence. Yeah, exactly. Right? And competence and training. Were there any, like, do you have any memories where you're just like, man, I wish I didn't do that, that one. That was, that was sketchy. Cause like, I can think back to being on a mountain. Like there's, I think there's one time where I was like, that was actually a really bad decision to go down that. And like, I, it was like every other decision I'm pretty proud of, like the, the test, would I let, would I be proud of myself if my wife saw this like in 99% of scenarios? I've been like, yeah, but there's like one time that stands out where I was like, I'm so glad nothing happened there. Cause if she saw that, she wouldn't let you. Idiot. Um, not ones that I wish I didn't do. Cause I, I feel like they were all learning experiences, but I, I can think of a couple like, almost like practice projects that we would. So when we were starting out, a lot of times we would help each other by building our, our reels. So we'd be like, Hey, let's shoot something for free and go out and do some stunts and then we'll film it. And that'll, you guys can, we can put that on our reel. So that way when we're shopping around to coordinators, we have something to show them. And there's a couple of things that we did like that. We put as much emphasis on safety as possible. Um, and we consulted as as, as many people as we had access to as possible. And they went fairly safely. Um, so I don't regret those because they went well. We did our due diligence to make sure people were safe, but in hindsight, they could have been safer, you know? And so mm. that's really the only thing It's just making sure that, you know, whoever we're working with, they're safe. They feel safe around us and we're doing, we're doing right by them. So, um, and especially in those situations, Haley and I were kind of in a leadership position uh, and running the show there. So I, that that's not so much anything to do with myself. It's more of like any, any time that I'm responsible for somebody else, that's, that's when I'm, I'm like, Oh man, like, could I have done this better? That kind of thing. You know? So it's not really regret. Mm-hmm. It's more just like, these are learning moments, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. And did you say you owned a box, a CrossFit box at the, the like same time? No, no. We're, so we're, we're managing CrossFit high voltage. Uh, we've actually, We've actually we've had a number of opportunities throughout the years to to own a gym or to start a gym, mm-hmm. uh, and there's been a number of people who've come out and offered us an opportunity to start a gym, and we we've considered it, and we you know even recently we've considered it, but it's like, you know, the nature of our job requires us to travel a fair bit, and it's one of those things where we need to have the the ability to step away and 
you know, if you're, if you're running the show and especially if you don't have everything in place to where you have a manager and people that can just like take care of everything when you're gone for undetermined amounts of time, uh, we don't, we don't know if we want to put ourselves in that position yet, you know? So that may be something down the road, but, uh, as of right now, we're just kind of like continuing to do the film and TV thing. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it's kind of like, we want to make hay while the sun shines, you know, things are going good. So we should mm-hmm. probably capitalize on that. Yeah. You can't, um, diverge your, your attention too much, exactly. especially with the CrossFit gym. Cause like, it's one of the things that should be very simple to run. Um, but unless you've run like five before, yeah. <laughs> I think it becomes yeah. like a stupidly complex. Yeah. Thing. And I think that's part of it too, is like, we've, we've run one before we've managed one before. And so we understand what it takes. Like, and we understand what it actually is, the time commitment and the commitment, like just on like the amount of stress you'll be taking on. And on top of that too, it is an investment and it's not necessarily a certain investment. I mean, we live here in California and it's like, you know, like we, we don't know what's going to happen down the line. You know, there could be COVID number two that comes out and then all gyms are shut down and there's, that's that there's your investment right there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, that, th- those are all things that we've kind of thought about. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know down the road how, how it's going to go, but, um, yeah, we just, we really want, we're right now we're just working on not only focusing on the film stuff, but just expanding our network within fitness and we're enjoying that and having fun and traveling around, training with different people and eating them and having a good time. Nice. Nice. So what's your, what's your focus now? Like what's the the thing? The main thing that I do now uh, is, so there, I, I didn't really know that there was a need for this, but there, a couple of years ago, uh, okay, so I'll back up. So I was managing CrossFit High Voltage and doing stunts on the side. And then uh, Haley and I got onto Marvel Universe Live to do to tour, and we were on tour for three years doing stunts full time. Now it's kind of like the moment where we were talking earlier, like how do I do this full time? This was kind of like we saw this as the opportunity of like I can quit my job, I can do this, you know, like. And so that was kind of a, a that was kind of our, our our break there. And but I was always so fascinated with strength and conditioning and fitness and all that, that I kept studying the whole time and I actually kept programming for people the whole time. So for those three years, I just like, whenever I wasn't doing a show, I would either be training or studying or working with somebody. And I just continued that so that when we got done, done with the tour, I was supplementing income in between stunt jobs, uh, by training people and programming for people and doing all that. And, uh, eventually someone put the feelers out, uh, cause they needed a trainer for a kid on avatar. And, uh, the stunt coordinator was passed along my information because people in the stunt community were like, Oh, you should ask Josh. He does this. Like he does this all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it got started. And then I had like a bunch of meetings. I had like four meetings or something like that. And, uh, within like two or three days and, uh, it went well. And, the, the beautiful part about preparing and being passionate about what you do is that when opportunities present themselves, they typically don't give you time to prep. So I, mm. I had been studying this stuff for years and years and years. So when I had to go in for these meetings and explain like, here's how I will get the kid from A to B, all I had to do was write down the plan. Like, it wasn't like I had to do a ton of studying. I, I, I was like, I know how to do this. Like, and then I went in and explained it. Like, here's what, here's what I would do, you know, like, here's how it'll work and here's why it'll work, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was nice to kind of be prepared in that moment. 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, it worked out. And so I met Jack champion and we started training in 2018 and, uh, we still work together today. And, uh, he's, he's like a little brother to me and stuff. So it's been a, a really rewarding experience doing that. Um, and that opened the door for us to start working in film in that capacity. So since then we've worked with actors, uh, comedians, singers, uh, performers of all kinds that need the same thing. Basically they want to look good. Uh, when they're performing and they want to feel confident while they're doing it, they want to have tons of energy and, and all of that. And so we've actually pulled back quite a bit from chasing stunt work and focusing more on this because we realize that there's a need for this and there's not a whole lot of people in this space that, that have the experience and have the onset experience of also understanding like the requirements of an actor. Uh, but we, we had that pedigree through stunts. So uh, a lot of, a lot of times we'll get hired by the stunt department, you know, we'll get contacted by the stunt department and then we'll go into training somebody. Uh, but, but actually now, uh, we just get contacted by actors themselves and they, you know, our name gets passed around and like, Hey, you worked with so-and-so they look great. Uh, they, you know, they were talking about you and stuff. Uh, can we, can we set up a meeting? And so we do that and, uh, just figure out a good plan for them and start working. Yeah. So that's pretty much our main gig. Now, uh, we mostly just work with performers. And I, I think down the line, we we're going to continue doing that, but also we want to find a way to expand that somehow, you know, and, and to help uh, a greater, uh, a greater population, like, and, and help people who want to get healthy in general. So um, I'm not exa- exactly sure what that looks like yet, but that's kind of the idea down the line. We're, we're going to try to help more and more and more people. So. Yeah, well, you obviously got a great starting point in terms of product. If if yeah. people are saying, "Hey, this is great, you should use it," then that's, you're obviously good at what you do. Um, are you are you focusing on just the training side, or is that nutrition? Is it recovery stuff? Is it everything? Yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, and that's part of it too. Is like we explain to people, like if you want to look good, if the training is one part, there's there's three parts, there's three pillars to making this work. You know, if you if you want to like improve your body composition, there's the training, there's your diet course. And then there's recovery and you can't neglect one of these things. Like if I, if I have a great diet and I'm recovering real well, that's great, but I'm not going to have any muscle. You know, I'm not going to build anything worth showing off. If I'm training really hard and I'm, I have the right diet, but I'm sleeping like four hours a night and I'm doing double days every single day. And I train seven days a week. You're not going to improve. You're going to burn out. You're going to quit all that stuff. Right. And it's going to deteriorate your mental health. And especially, I'll get back to that. The third thing is like, if I have great training, great recovery, you've heard this before. You can't out train a shitty diet, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you, you can't neglect one of those things. And that's one of the first things that we talk about. And the more important thing, especially with performers, people, people focus on how they want to look with their shirt off. And that's like their main goal and all that stuff. And I think they think that in film, the actors are like, I want to look ripped. That's priority one X, Y, Z. And the main, the first thing that we talk to our performers about is like, look, I understand that training is not something you really enjoy. You enjoy singing. You enjoy acting. That's your passion. Our passion is training. You know what I'm saying? Many people, their passion is training or athletes, their passion is training, but for artists and stuff, they want to be able to perform at the highest level doing their art. So this is only something that's secondary that allows them to do their job better. 
And I think once we kind of like frame it that way for them, they then understand the importance of it versus just being like, oh, this is something I have to do. Or why can't I just be ripped? You know, like, like all that stuff, like it, it allows them to frame it the right way to where they're like, this will help me do what I love better. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, Absolutely. That- it's, um, yeah. So I, so my background is I work with CrossFit athletes on mindset. That's basically my jam. I help them perform better. Yeah. And so much of it is a kind of a similar process. I used to think, oh yeah, everyone will just love to sit down with a journal and figure out why they think the way they yeah. think. And it's like, just cause I enjoy it. Like it doesn't mean that any, anyone else enjoys sure. it. So like coming back to that end goal of like, okay, why do you do what you do yeah. like, and to like, why is this important? Why is that salient to you? You meant, did you like, you said, Oh, I'll get back to this. And that was close to the mental health yeah, comment exactly, that you yeah. made. Like, was, was that, was that where you were going to go? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, you know, like just, to, just to help it's exactly what you're talking about. Just like with any other athlete, the first thing you have to establish is where are we going and why, you know? And, and like you said, the more important thing is why, you know, why do you care about this? Um, one of the tougher things is uh, when we when I first got started with Avatar, you know, I, I was working with a kid who was like 13 years old, and he, the studio and the producers and the director were like, "We want you to train this kid." Right now, a lot of times we're being hired either directly by the actors or the actors are recommending us to the studio, and then we're working with them. Right, but working with a 13 year old kid, it's like you have to work out. And when you're 13, you're not like, you know, you're, you want to go and just eat candy and play and have fun and stuff and play video games and all that stuff. You don't want to be buried in the gym all the time, you know? So Mm. it's really hard to, uh, that that was a huge challenge. Like avatar is probably one of the hardest jobs I'll ever have. Um, and it was one of the jobs that has taught me the most. And also at the same time, I'll say this now, like working with Jack, like He's so motivated and fired up and he understands now the importance of it. It's not something where I have to like, you know, like drag him, you know, we, we still work remotely and everything. I don't have to drag him to the gym or anything like that. Like he, he knows what it takes and, but that's developed over time. And so that was, that was really, really important at the beginning was figuring out like, dude, why, why are you even doing this movie? You know, like not, not just why are we working out? Why are you doing this movie? Why do you want to be an actor? Like you're 13, you know? That's a difficult thing for a 13 year old to answer though. Like, cause they're just like, part of, part of that is like, I know I'm 13. I've been like, exactly, I've had yeah. my, my prefrontal <laughs> cortex isn't even yeah. developed yet. Like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. And I think for him, like the, the main thing that we kind of tapped into, like put yourself back in, into being 13. The main thing that I remember is that I grew up in Yakima, Washington and for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be like, Hey, look at me here. I am like, I want to kind of leave my mark on the world. You know, I think lots of young men want to feel like that, want to accomplish that. They just don't know how, you know? And I, I basically told him like that feeling that you have inside of wanting to do something important, you have a golden opportunity to do it, you know? And this opportunity is going to come around only one time. And the thing that we have to focus on is that you may not understand all the ins and outs right now, but if you thread the needle, you'll be so proud of yourself and so happy down the road because you're going to be set up for success moving forward, you know? And 
we had so many talks like that because it got really hard. The hours were long. Uh, the stuff they they required him to do was so physically grueling. Uh, obviously within reason, you know, because he was a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to say anything like that. But uh, it's intense. It's, yeah, it's, it's it was hard intense. Work. It was, you know, it required a lot out of him, and you know, it was. You can imagine that kind of pressure, like for one of the biggest movies of all time. And it kind of like he was like one of the only human characters, you know. So there was a ton of pressure, and we talked many times about it. I was like, dude, just hang in there, stick this out. You're gonna you're gonna walk away with your head held high at the end of this. And it was one of the greatest feelings I've ever had in my life to sit in the premiere. I got to sit next to him. We watched the movie. As soon as the credits roll, we all stand up, and I just looked at him. I was like, you did it. And and like you know, it was the most emotional moment. Gave him a hug, and it was like four years of work and we just watched it and it paid off. I was like, I don't care if anybody sees this movie. You should be proud of that. That was good, dude. You Mm -hmm. know, like you did it, you know? And I just remember all those hard days and nights like of him just like, like waking up early, getting his workout in adhering to the diet that he did not want to adhere, adhere to. And it just paid off. It all paid off. And then to see how well the movie did, like, it's just icing on the cake. And I, I was like, see, like this, uh, like this is going to last forever. You'll be in this movie looking great forever, dude. You know? And, uh, it's hard to explain to someone when they, when they haven't seen success yet. And I'm sure you, you've run into this with CrossFit athletes or anybody who's trying to lose weight or anything. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I know you don't understand how proud you're going to be of yourself yet because you haven't felt it. Trust me, it, it, like, if you do all the things you need to do when you're on the other side of this, you're going to be so happy that you took the step, you know? Mm. Yeah. So like a, a story to lead into point. The reason I started doing this kind of work with athletes was because I realized, well, partly through my own journey and like what I learned about myself, but also the, like it's, it's a common theme that when you're a coach, a CrossFit coach, or a personal trainer, you're a therapist as much as as that. Like it's, it's what's always said. Like you kind of people go through a very intense physical process with you, and they encounter challenges, but they also encounter like what's going on outside in their life. And I realized that when I was working with athletes, there's those kind of conversations I was having with athletes that had as big an effect as here's your sets and reps. And when like, and that was just like, and I worked with a few teenagers as well. Like one former gymnast who went on to be a professional jockey. Um, and that was just the physical training. Like she was a beast. Um, like it was incredible to give like a kid that young and just like see her just like exquisite movement patterns. I remember I taught her a muscle up first person to do it. She just went what like this. And I was like, Oh yeah, (laughs) you got it. Um, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like a snatch as well, like full barbell snatch, just chucked her a bar and she went, yep like that and i was like yeah that's that's the one um <laughs> yeah but so like i realized like and also like with with talking with kids like that there's there's so much going on when they're kids like she was 15 when i was working with her um when i started working with her i think and like it's just there's so much going on in their lives and like if you had such a close relationship with jack like how how often were you working with them i mean i lived right underneath him um we saw each other okay, every day yeah. <laughs> that's pretty intense yeah. um like I said, he's like a little brother. Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Like, it, it, it's a cool relationship we have. Um, lots of mutual respect. And uh, so, I mean, we would train five days a week, and probably two or three of those days were two days. And when I say two days, it's more of like 
we do like bodybuilding stuff in the morning and then like either steady state cardio at night or some, you know, it, depending on uh, like maybe like some boxing or, you know, like hitting the heavy bag or something like that. So, um, yeah, uh, that was kind of like our, our rhythm and our flow for the week. And a lot of it was dictated also on what was required of him on set. So, you know, we, we could have a, like a double day planned or we could have, um, you know, a, a certain type of workout plan. But if he had to do something specific on set, like I would coordinate with the stunt team quite a bit and be like, what, is, what does he need to do today? And if it was like, you know, he's running all day, I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to run later. Yeah, we're doing too, sprints. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Like we don't, we don't need to do that again, you know? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. How do you, like, I suppose my, my question with all that was like, how do you go about helping his mental well-being at the same time, give him like support? Like what, yeah. what role do you play in that? So that, you know, it's interesting that you mention all that. I also think that that's super important. This has actually happened with not just Jack, but uh, other performers we've worked with that are, that are adults where there's been times where we walk into the gym and I think it's really important. Like if you're going to be a professional coach, there's, there's like three things you need to know how to do. Number one, you need to know what you're talking about with strength and conditioning and nutrition and all that stuff. Right. So being knowledgeable is, is super important, right? the second thing you need to know is business, right? You need to know how to monetize what you're doing and that, and being able to kind of successfully navigate those waters is really important to, to make a living doing a coach. But the third thing, and I would argue this is maybe the more important things because AI is going to replace the, uh, the knowledgeable part here fairly soon, um, is being a conscious coach. I don't know if you've read like Brett Bartholomew's book, uh, yeah, conscious coach. Brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Um, but being empathic and being able to read people and, being able to read the room and see what's going on and relate to them is probably the most important thing I think to getting someone to continue to keep grinding and, and, and doing what they're doing and chasing what they're chasing. So like I said, there's been a number of times, like not just with Jack, but also with some of our adult clients that are performers where I'll get to the gym and I can tell something's wrong, you know, and we'll start warming up or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, how's it going, man? Or, you know, what's on your mind? That kind of thing. And they'll just start talking. And if it's bad enough, there, there'll be times where I'll be like, listen, dude, let's, let's not work out today. You know, why why don't we just sit here and talk, you know, and we'll just put some music on and just like, you, you tell me how you're feeling, what's going on. And they'll just unload, you know, like they'll unload all the things that are bothering them. And the most important thing I think you can do in those moments is just sit and listen, you know, because a lot of times when people are, have all these pent up emotions, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's like, there's a time to be a problem solver and a time to just be a sponge. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, you need to figure out like, and, and I'll sometimes even ask, like, do you just want to, do you just want to, do you want me to help you solve the problem or you just want to get it out? And sometimes they'll just be like, I just need to tell somebody this. And it's like, cool go for it, you know? And so they'll just unload. And then at the end of it, they might start asking you questions like, like, so what do I do and stuff? And then you can kind of like weigh in and be like, well, if you do this and this, like, here's the outcome that might happen. Or if you handle things like this and this, here's the outcome that might happen. So you kind of have a choice, you know, and I always try to like frame things like a question, like a choice, you know, that way the athlete feels like they're in control of their world. Cause a lot of times, like whether they're chasing sports or they're chasing especially the film business which is so you know fickle and stuff it's like you could be hot one minute and then 
not be able to find work the next, you know? So, and it's not because you're working less hard, you know? Uh, It's just the nature of the beast. So what a a lot of times, like whenever I'm trying to give advice, I'll try to give it in the form of an option or a question. It's like, you could do this and then here might be the outcomes for that. Here, you could do this. Here might be the outcomes for that. Whatever you want to do, I support you all the way, dude. You just let me know how you need me, you know? And then that way they, they feel like they're choosing their own, adventure their own direction in life and you're there to support them and i feel like what you know uh haley's first haley's first coach tim thackeray he said something to me really i thought that was really cool one time he said the coach is the person who cares the most and i started thinking about like well they can't care more than the athlete or they can't care more about the athlete than their parents and i'm like when i started thinking about it 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 kind of came into it made sense over time because I was like, the coach is the one that has to step back and take, take the big view of the entire picture. The athlete is in it. Right. And so the coach has a view of the goal, the starting point and how we're going to get there. And also should care about the athlete enough, enough to where they're just as passionate as anyone else in the athlete's life about that goal, except for the athlete. Does that make sense? And mm, so absolutely. having that kind of knowledge and also that kind of passion alongside the athlete makes the coach like a very pivotal, um, or I, I should say an important key to success, I think. And that, and that goes beyond just athletics as well. Like, I mean, you could say the same thing with a business coach, you know, or a mentor or anything like that. Like someone who really, really cares about another person's progress or success or failure, like, uh, I, I think it's just such a, a, a massive indicator of if someone or an endeavor is going to be successful or not. Hmm. It's funny because it's, it's the one thing that can't be systematized. It's one thing that can't be scaled. It can't be taught by AI. Yeah. It's the human connection. And it's like, I think obviously I've got no idea what things were like previous to my life, but it feels like right now is a very disconnected time. And we are spending so much time, like social media connection. Like even this conversation now, it's like it's it's like it's connected, but it was also through a through a screen. screen, And now, like everyone who's been listening to it, it's like they're not part of the conversation; they're just listening in. And like it's uh, it's very rare to have the opportunity to sit down, have someone just say, "Hey, what's going on? Talk to me about what's going on in your life." Yeah, and like it's it's such a a needed situation to go. This is what I'm feeling. And it's a skill that you practice as well. Something that like you can't get good at explaining what you think until you start just speaking random words and they vaguely make they they have some semblance of truth in them, yeah. some semblance of what you mean. And eventually that becomes more articulate. And then through that you get to know yourself better. And like so you're by coaching in that fashion, you're providing a way deeper service than than here's your sets and reps. A hundred percent. And I think that there's also a hesitancy for people to open up in person because mm-hmm. of how digitized everything has become. Uh, one of the negative things about obviously social media and stuff is that everybody just feels like they can kind of pop off and say whatever they want about anybody at any time. <laughs> like if, if you go to, um, I don't know, like, I don't know, like uh, GQ or Vogue, like a magazine where somebody like on their Instagram, they post like a photo of somebody like in a dress or something like that. You're going to get comments about how great the dress is. And then lots of vicious comments about like how the person looks or how they look funny or they're making a funny face or have they gained a little weight Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And like people have no qualms about talking like that. 
behind a keyboard. They would never, ever say that kind of stuff in person. I think that we get trained to, to hearing negative stuff all the time when you put yourself out there, right? Like online. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in person, I think people are also hesitant to open up because they're so used to, if anybody puts anything out there about themselves, having some negative feedback. And when, in my experience, like when you create a, a welcoming environment to where you allow people to be able to, in a safe way to open up and just be like, Hey dude, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what, here's my concerns. Here are my fears, all that stuff. Not only do like they grab on with both hands. Cause they're like, I needed this, but I've been so afraid to articulate myself because of fear of negative feedback. Does that make sense? Like, and so mm-hmm. I think coaches can really provide a, a, a great service to their local communities by being that outlet, you know, and in the past, maybe it was like, I don't know, I don't know, confession, like a church or something like that, or like, uh, you know, other forms of community involvement as adults. But like, I feel like CrossFit specifically, or maybe like jujitsu communities, uh, they provide that, that, uh, space for people to be themselves, open up, maybe gain some new friends they would have never talked to before and, and realize like, Oh wait, no, like people are actually kind of decent. Like this isn't how we actually interact in person. This is just like what's happening online. Yeah. Yeah. There's so people who listen to this show will be bored of me saying this, but through the, through my time in the military, I learned there's two ways that people connect and get like a, or two very useful ways that people really connect. One is through obscene amounts of alcohol. For some reason that bonds people really well. Um, the second one is shared hardship yeah. and doing something incredibly tough. And I think the commonality between them is vulnerability. You're doing something where you're expressing who you really are. Through alcohol, it's kind of like yeah. unbidden and you're showing your true self. And if you're still liked after that, then fantastic. Yeah. You've done a good job. Yeah. Um, but like the shared hardship thing around jujitsu communities when someone's trying to strangle you and break your joints. Yeah. Um, and through CrossFit, like in that community too, but also like the military is a great community for yeah, that. Um those kind of shared suffering communities are like they're real tight. And you get to know what someone's truly like in the, in those kind of um, vulnerable places. Yeah, for sure. There's nowhere to hide in those moments. And, 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 and yeah. like all, all the front that you put on, you know, all the airs that you put on, like outside of the gym or outside of the mat or whatever it is, or I'm sure in the military as well, like everybody's wearing the same uniform, you know, like, and so I, I find that, uh, the gym in general is kind of the great equalizer. I've, I've trained with people that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, don't have much going on, got a simple job, all that stuff. Um, and I've had just as good workouts with them as I've had with people that are kind of captains of industry or directors or producers and all that stuff. And it's like, everybody has to go and lift the same weights, you know, like I, I find it's the great equalizer and it's the, the, it's one of the only places where we all come together and bond over the same thing. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. With, uh, well, not who you're working with now. Where do you, um, I suppose it's around the mental health thing. Like, how do you ensure that someone's getting the right level of care? And how do you ensure that you're not going too far into that kind of the therapist role? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, 
I think through humor, I, I find that one of the, the, the best things, the best tools that a coach can have is to take pressure situations and make light of them. You know? So I, I find that using jokes and humor is a good way to kind of like figure out like how your athletes feeling throughout the day, you know, like if they're cracking wise and having fun in the gym and having a good time, uh, typically things are okay. And you don't need to really like pour it on with the therapist stuff. Um, and if you keep that as like a routine, like, Hey, yeah, when we get in the gym, we're having fun, you know, like we're joking around when you notice that, like, they're not giving it back to you, then that's my gauge for like, Hey, maybe we need to talk, you know, like (laughs) maybe we need to get more serious. I don't think it works the other way around for me, at least to where I start like super serious and like, okay, no, we can't have a good time in the gym. You know, it's, it's the other way around where it's like, we're having fun. We're in the gym. Let's get after it. It's, it's going to be a great day. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I feel some pushback about like, Ooh, like they're not feeling it today. Like what, what's going on? I'm picking up on something. Then, it, then I in, internally, I'm like, something's bothering them. Let's try to get to the bottom of it. And I usually try to figure out a way to let them bring it up, you know, versus me bringing it up. I'll usually just ask questions about like, how's your day? What's going on? You know, Oh, nothing, you know, just dealing with some stuff. I'm like, stressful. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, Oh, cool. Uh, well, you got like a busy day or something. And they'll be like, well, I got this and this and this today. Like, all right. Was, is, is that what's stressing you out? No. Okay. So there's this phone call I had last night with this person. I haven't talked to in forever, but you know, then they just unload and stuff. And so mm-hmm. like, that's usually how it goes. And then I just listen. So that's kind of my normal process for it. Yeah, it's interesting how powerful listening is. Literally doing Dude, nothing. You're just being a like uh, a vessel for some type of conversation. With. I always picture like the like uh, a barrel of water, and like you know, the coach or the friend or the family member or whatever it is is just like the person like uncorking the bottom and just letting it empty out. You know, mm-hmm. like that, that's all it is. That's just listening. Is you're just allowing them to empty that barrel. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And a lot of times too, the challenge is like, uh, I was going to say a lot of time too, I, I feel like the athletes or the people that you're talking to, they already know what the answer is. They already know what they have to do. You know, yeah. they just don't want to confront it with all the stress still built up in them. But as soon as you allow them to kind of like let all that out and they're like, okay, I can now do what mm-hmm. I know I'm going to have to do. So. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. How do you personally manage the because like when people offload on you like that it can be you'd like you pick it up and it becomes kind of heavy sometimes and like you become a a source of support for many people how do you ensure that you are getting support personally for yourself like what what are you doing what are your habits like how do you take care of yourself um i think just through purpose like i i feel like that's my job you know and so Mm -hmm. taking on, I don't want to say that, like that stress or that burden, but being there for them actually fills up my cup. Um, it's an act of service and it's something that I just find, uh, is gives kind of going back to what you're talking about, about like, what's your why? Like, I feel like, uh, my, my job is to make other people's lives better. That's the reason I'm here, you know? And so, when I, when I am able to do that and it's kind of a clear cut situation where I feel like I'm doing that, it, it actually just motivates me more, you know? So I don't feel like I'm taking on their stress. I, I feel like 
the stressful thing for me would be like, if I had an athlete that was just kind of like, like, Hey, no, I don't really want to work out today. And then we just stop, mm. we stop talking. We stop like that. The distance is actually what stresses me out more, you know? So, hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I yeah, it just kind of works the other way around for me. And I, maybe that's just a, the kind of person I am or, you know, like inherently or whatever, but, um, you know, Haley and I, we talk a lot about like what, you know, working towards a greater good and like, what, what is our mission? You know, what, what are our core values as a family and how can we spread, spread whatever that is to other people to help make their lives better. And so, yeah, whenever we feel like that, we're, we're checking that box. It's, it's, it's all good stuff for us. Nice. Anything to add on finally, like any, anything you wanted to mention, where can people find you as well on socials? Uh, you can go to at Josh in the gym. That is, uh, that's probably just the best place to go. Um, but yeah. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Massively appreciate (laughs) it. Really enjoyed uh, getting to know more about what you do. Like really interesting to hear, especially the the listening piece of things. Like it's, it's, it's nice to hear that side of coaching. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you're seeing it within CrossFit as well. Like there's, there's certain, I think there's certain camps and athletes who, uh, you know, they want to win and they'll, they'll join a certain camp thinking that that's the right answer. And, and actually the, the coaches that tend to be able to resonate more and maybe just like listen to them or like are a better match for them in that regard, yield better results. And I, and I think over the last couple of years, we've seen a, a couple of athletes just like shifting camps. And maybe that's the reason for it is, uh, there's just more, more of an environment that allows for them to be themselves and express themselves in a more open way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, different feelings, different environments, different yeah. communities. Cause at this point, I feel like a lot of the, uh, a lot of most of the training protocols, maybe subtle differences are pretty similar from camp to camp. You know, mm-hmm. like I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of camps have kind of like CrossFit. I don't want to say figured out, but they, they recognize the patterns or at least they're, they're all like looking around and seeing what everybody else is doing and be like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, what should we be doing too? You know, like, so yeah, maybe the, the difference there is just like, you know, what's the gym's culture? What's the, you know, the, this mm-hmm. training camp's culture versus that one? Why do I resonate with that one more? Yeah. So, yeah. What the norms exactly. here? Like what's expected? Yeah. Awesome. Dude. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. Really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes and find me on Instagram, Tom Foxley, T-O-M-F-O-X-L-E-Y, so that you don't miss out on your opportunities to, well, train your mindset and make it better and live a better life.